You're at the Coaching Inn, 3D Coaching's virtual pub where we enjoy conversations with people who are engaged in the world of coaching. Welcome to this week's edition of the Coaching Inn. I'm Claire Pedrick and today I'm in conversation with Sarah Carter and her co-guest Martin Carter. Sarah is famous on LinkedIn. And Sarah, welcome. And then we'll talk to Dad afterwards. So, Sarah, how old are you? I'm 11 years old. You're 11 years old and you're famous on LinkedIn. Yeah. What did you say to your dad? Um, so we were on the beach in the summer and I asked him what his job was because he replied he taught people how to do their job better and I said, more like destroy them mentally. <laughs> I can see Dad looks a bit embarrassed. Yeah, there, there was a second half, which might be coming in a moment as well, I seem to remember. Remember what the second half of that was? No, I can't. <laughs> well, well, I can. Uh, and the second half was, um, <clears throat> and tells him how to do a job he's never done himself. Well, there you are. And have you changed your mind or do you think that's still what Dad does? No, I've always thought that is always well. Okay, well, now Dad, welcome Martin Carter, is going to tell us all about his LinkedIn post. Please, Martin, and tell us all about you. Thanks, Claire, and uh, thanks for inviting us uh, both along. Uh, along. Yeah, so um, I guess one of the um, one of the things that I've been working on and working with my um, clients on is is vulnerability and honesty and openness and. Um, I was struck um, how many kind of LinkedIn profiles I was seeing where um, people had described themselves as um, kind of thought leaders or had like an amazing titles. And um, I was being reminded by by the family of um, how Sarah had described me. And I thought, well, what would be the antithesis of building yourself up and what might actually uh, be more um honest and um maybe um a bit more humble for me how how i could describe myself so um i decided i'd go for it and thought it might have needed a bit of explanation so my linkedin profile now says as sarah says um mentally uh, demolishes people and tells them how to do a job he's never done himself and and the post was really about um how do we strip back everything that, that we do and and how do we present ourselves and how do we come across as uh, 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 two other people and um and a little bit of a mischievous um as i say antithesis to maybe some of the and i, I don't want to fall too much into judgment here um maybe some of the um self-promotion or grandiose titles that i was starting to see in places like linkedin i thought it was amazing and sarah we have to say thank you so much for having that conversation with dad on the beach, because that's made lots of people look at what they call themselves and go, actually, is this really what I do? Or is this what I hope I do? Well, you're very welcome. Thank you. And so if you had a title on LinkedIn, if you were at 11 years old, were allowed to be on LinkedIn, what would you call yourself? World's best daughter. The world's best daughter. How amazing is that? Well, world's best daughter, thank you for being our youngest ever guest at the Coaching Inn. 
and we know that you now got to go and have your dinner yeah so enjoy and thank you so much Sarah thank you for having me it's a pleasure it's a real pleasure bye-bye bye <laughs> you've really struck something there Martin haven't you it's interesting isn't it I think um um and you know I'm I'm really struck by the wisdom of children um and I'm struck by the wisdom of children's um literature and um one of the stories I often end up um sharing with um people I'm working with is um Hans Christian Anton's Emperor's New Clothes story and um, yeah. I'm sure everybody knows it but it's the one where the king having been taken in by some swindlers uh, is parading naked through the streets thinking he's wearing an amazing suit of clothes and um, of course it's the child in the crowd who says but the king's naked and what's really interesting and um, I did go back and check my sources on this because I've been telling people this for years that actually the apparently the um, manuscript was at the printers and in the original telling Hans Christian Andersen had just a townsperson saying the king's naked but he said it just didn't resonate with him. There was something about the story which didn't connect. And of course, everybody knows that an adult would never say that in a crowd yeah. of adults where everybody else is agreeing. It takes a child's innocence or a child's courage to say, but the king's naked. And um, it was a little bit um, Sarah's um, openness and honesty, shall we say, uh, and, and wanting to embrace that that made me uh, uh, made me yeah go for it on LinkedIn and say, well, let's let, let's start a conversation. Which you did, for sure. Indeed it did. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And one of the things you said was, you know, did you give this name to yourself or did somebody else give it to you? But I think even if somebody else gave it to you, sometimes we need to push back. Yeah. I I had somebody in the room last week and she went, I can't believe I'm talking to you. And I just went, I'm just like you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Which I think she realised like two minutes later. She go, oh, yeah, you are just like me. <laughs> a human no, being. Well, it's, it's these labels we carry, isn't it? And, and some yeah. of them are, are the ones that we bestow on ourselves and others have bestowed them on us. And um, as I'm sure you know, we know, they can be positive and they can be, they can be negative. Um, but, but labels are really, really interesting. In fact, yeah. um, you just reminded me actually of... Um, the first day of my coach training back in the day a few years ago when I was um, on, on my journey of um, my, doing my coach training and uh, we were invited to go to the grounds of this lovely house that we were doing the training in and come back with something. And I, and I went out with the intention of uh, coming back with a flower or a, you know, a piece of foliage with something with some deep meaning and you were meant to describe it. But as I was walking along, there was a, a Dorothy Perkins label that had obviously been, well, I imagine it had been discarded from a dress because they used this place for weddings and it was probably causing an itch. This label was causing an itch and it was on the floor. And I saw it and I ignored it. But, you know, you get that little nudge in your mind and um, I, couldn't, I, I couldn't get it out of my mind. So I went back and, and, and picked it up. And um, as all these people had these amazing items in nature, I had this Dorothy Perkins label. And which I've still got, by the way. And um, they said, well, why have you bought that? And I said, well, I'm not sure, but I think it's about labels. I think yeah. it's about arriving here thinking I want to be a coach. And actually, what do I want to be? Why am I here? And what would it mean to completely throw off my labels in the way that that label had been thrown off a, thrown off a dress? And 
Yeah, that's been, I think that's lived with me since this, this sense of labels and the labels that we carry and the labels that we give to others. So how do you spend your time at work, Martin? Um, I was with a group this week, actually. I, said, I think I've got the best job in the world because um, like, I guess, many of your, uh, your listeners, Claire, um, I'm a coach, um, but I'm also a facilitator. I, I do some training um, and I, uh, I'm a governor at our local um, secondary school. I'm the chair of governors there. So do some work in the, in the school. Um, but if you made me pick a label which wasn't mentally demolish people and uh, teach them how to do a job he's never done himself, I'd, I'd describe myself as a performance coach, I think. I think that's, that's really what I'm committed to doing. How do we help people perform even better? How can mm-hmm. we be a better version of ourselves? What, what does that mean? And so whether it's in sort of the, the risk space that I still do some work in and whether it's one-to-one coaching or team facilitation or business consultancy, it's all geared towards how can we be slightly better tomorrow compared to where we are today um, and how do we kind of hone our performance across all elements of aspects of our life and I love what you just said there slightly better tomorrow because that's much more realistic offer isn't it and it also takes the you know I can turn you into the world's best whatever is rather an overwhelming pressure on everybody yeah, you, um, obviously your listeners can't see what's on the wall behind me, but I've got a picture of um, Roger Bannister running the, the four-minute mile. Um, and he's being, the, the image has got Chris Chataway or one of his pacemakers in front of him. And um, he's he's pacemaking him. And uh, at the end of the race, Roger Bannister gives huge credit to Chris Brasher and Chris Chataway, his two um, pacemakers, and said, I couldn't have done it without them. And I think at its best, I think all elements of coaching are, it's like being a pacemaker. You bring people along slightly faster than you'd they'd go if they're left to their own devices, but but not so far that you're a lap ahead because that's showing off and that's about you. But but the whole purpose is to pace them to achieve their personal best, and then tomorrow they can better it. What does that look like? And I think that's how that's kind of I think that performance coaching is just being that little bit better and being really conscious about how we can just um, uh, improve by one small conscious step. Yeah. yeah and there's also something there about not being isolated and not feeling you're alone yeah this sense of doing it with and for and alongside others I think mm-hmm. yeah and I think maybe uh, the last couple of years of, of, of lockdown and all that that has entailed has probably left many people feeling isolated despite spending hours staring at other people on the screen all day yeah yeah I'm, I like to define coaching as keeping someone company while they think yeah nice and I think sometimes we think I'm not doing anything, but actually I'm keeping them company and facilitating that to happen. And if I wasn't here, they probably wouldn't be holding themselves to the gas, to the heat. Yeah, I like that. I think that's, that's absolutely right. There's, there's that sense of being held, whether you're holding the person, you're holding the space and just creating that, yeah, that thinking environment. Uh, mm. and and bringing it with um uh, as a pacemaker does as i guess a um a sports coach does um maybe sometimes in a way that might bring a bit of discomfort yeah yeah, yeah. as you're talking about these three men one of whom's become very famous and the other two of whom their names are known but not at all in the same way makes me think about leading and following because he won yeah. the race. 
Yeah, the, the the fascinating story about about that. I love stories. You probably know that. You probably sussed that by now, Claire. But um, that year, and I'm racking my brains, and I'm pretty sure it was '54. It was it was early '50s. The year that Roger Bannister um, broke the four minute mile was the first year that the BBC Sports Personality was awarded. Oh, and it wasn't Roger Bannister who won it. It was Chris Chatterway who had been one of his pacemakers and just, I mean, what a, what a great kind of, I mean, if it was, a, if it was a Hollywood movie, you'd kind of go, Oh my word. Um, Chris Chatterway um, won a, a gold medal in, in a race um, later on in the year. It wasn't the Olympics, but it was some, some global event, I think. And uh, I think it was just more in the forefront of people's minds. And when it came to the sports personality of the year, he was awarded it, not Roger Bannister, despite Roger Bannister achieving that iconic uh, milestone. Um, and so there's something about when you put your own goals aside to help others, it doesn't necessarily mean you're less successful. You can be successful in your own right. Yeah, that's that's very interesting, isn't it? I wrote a blog post the other day about sometimes I think as coaches, we can see somebody getting to the moment of insight and we try and run over the finishing line and go, look, you're here. And then they fall over. <laughs> Because they've got to do that last bit themselves. It's like the the marathon, isn't it? Where you've got to let somebody get the wobble their way over the line, even if it's really struggle for them. I think, I think that's right, and I think certainly in in, in the early part of um, I may well still be uh, guilty of this now at times, but certainly in the early part of my coaching journey, um, I probably wanted everything to be boxed off in a lovely bow with a wrapper on it and um, you know beautifully packaged and um, of course I think you come to realize with with age and maturity and, and, and great people around you that that's maybe for you and not for the not for the coachee and I think you're right just just that freedom to freedom to struggle over the line whilst being held and supported I think is is key um, to to whatever it is that, that this thing that we do yes this difficult to describe thing that we do indeed indeed yeah so what's the simplest way that you describe coaching um i've robbed this from somebody and i'm not sure who i've robbed it from um but the the the, my favorite description of coaching is, is is described as um the job of a coach is not to unstick people but to help them explore their stuckness Oh, that's great. So um, I'd, I'd love to say I, I created it, but I'm pretty sure I've robbed it from somewhere. I need to Google it to find out who it was from. But yeah, the job of a coach is not to unstick people, but to help them explore their stuckness. And I think that speaks to that, that space that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. And, and I, think, I think what you were saying, Claire, about if you weren't there, they may not make that progress. I think, I think we, we, we ignore our stuckness or we turn away from our stuckness or we we don't want to wrestle so we find we 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 detour around it and i think what a good coach does is just say it's okay to be stuck let's just be curious about about being stuck and what it means to be stuck Mm. Mm. so interesting so what else can we learn from sarah and children i wonder in terms of coaching and leadership indeed um, I mean, I think there's great wisdom in in lots of children's literature, and um, I think, um, and, and I'll and I'll, I'll end up paraphrasing this, that um, the, the start of the Winnie the Winnie the Pooh, which I have got somewhere else on the wall in my room, 
is something like <clears throat> bump, bump, bump. Here's Edward Bear coming down the stairs uh, on the back of his head. It is, as far as he knows, the only way of coming down the stairs. Although he can't help thinking there must be a better way. <laughs> and the image is he's being dragged by his foot by Christopher Robin and his head bangs off every step. And um, I mean, I think that's the point where where good coaches step in, right? Where, <laughs> where, where clients are like, I've got this sense there's a better way. If only I could stop bumping for a minute and, and think about and and, um, uh, and and think about it. And um, I think that's the um, the entry point for, for, for most people is when we um, are prepared to stop and pause and think and say, well, actually, what's what is the um, what are the alternatives here? What, what, why does it feel like I'm going downstairs on the back of my head? And um, um, something I often talk about um, with my with my clients and particularly groups is um, apparently between the age of two and five, as children, we ask about 40,000 questions. Now, I guess any parent of anybody who's parented a, a toddler would go, it seems like more than 40,000. Yes. Um, but something like between 20 and 30 every day. Um, but by the time we're 18, that's reduced by 80 or 90%. And it mm. reduced after that. And, and I think what children can particularly teach us is just about curiosity. I think as we get more educated and we enter the workplace, um, I think we stop asking questions. Or I think more importantly, we stop asking questions that we don't know the answer to. I think often we end up asking questions that we kind of know the answer to and we're trying to guide people to, to, to the answer we've already decided. Yeah. Um, but I think what children do is genuinely ask questions that they don't know the answer to and they're really, really curious. And, and I think um, the vulnerability of asking questions, and I think the reason we often don't ask questions in adulthood is throughout school, questions become code for I don't know the answer. And I think if you're in a position of responsibility and asking a question, which to you might feel like code for, I don't know the answer is, oh my word, but I'm meant to know the answers because yeah. my job has got manager in it or leader in it or something in it. And so mm. um, I think it's back to that vulnerability. And if we can get back in touch with that childlike innocence of asking the question that you don't know the answer to, I think it unlocks teams, it unlocks organizations, it unlocks um, communities. I think so so if, if there was one thing um, apart from <laughs> brutal honesty that I think we can learn from children it's just asking the questions that we don't know the answer to yeah and then finding a better question yeah if, if that's all we do is to find a better question that we can sit with that enables us to engage with something in a different way what a great thing but there's mm. something there isn't there Martin about control because, you know, we live in what, what do we call it? Volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous world. And yet yeah. in that, there's a fantasy that leaders and managers should know what they're doing. But, but they do and they don't. In the I, same um, way that in coaching, we do know what we're doing, but we don't know what we're doing. We never know what we're doing. Yeah. We, we, we know a process, but we might not know the answer. We might not yeah. know where it's, where it's leading us. Um, for sure, my my um, favourite cartoon, which I, I, I used with a group earlier um, earlier uh, the, oh, last week, um, is and I'll try to describe it as best I can. But it's a row of people walking up to a hut that says answers, and um, uh, there's there's a, an arrow pointing to the right that says simple but wrong, and uh, you see lots and lots of people walking down this path and falling off the edge of a cliff. 
and then arrow pointed to the left that so says complex but right and it's this tortuous winding path up this hill that's just got one or two people um walking up it and um uh maybe i'm getting old uh and therefore cynical and bitter um or maybe there's something in it but 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 i think we're more and more prone towards simple answers you yeah. know everything's black and white and simple answers and, and i think we, we may be losing the patience or the art or the willingness or the vulnerability of just wrestling with complex answers mm. and, and being satisfied with answers that as, as you say might not actually draw us to a conclusion but just lead us to a even better question and, and just sitting with that I think is something which probably we've um, um, is not an auto response thing. I don't think it's prevalent. I think we're we're a hundred mile an hour looking for simple answers most of the time. And that goes back, doesn't it, to how you described yourself at the beginning about moving people forward a bit. Yeah. Because if yeah. you can move a question forward a bit, that's progress, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think. Part of this, I think, is um, back back to childhood. Um, you know, from within twenty minutes of being born, assuming you're you're healthy, then you get whisked away from your parents, and the midwife weighs you and measures you. And and here in the UK, they flip to the back of the the red medical book and they plot you on a graph. You know, within twenty minutes of being born, you're plotted on a graph and told how you compare to everybody else. And then it doesn't really stop from there. I think mm. we, you know, we're constantly fed a comparison alongside everybody else. And our self-worth is often measured externally in terms of how am I doing in relation to everybody else? Whereas, of course, the real journey is how am I doing compared to myself? How am I, how am I doing compared to that best version of myself that I aspire towards? And, and, and that's, that's, I think, the key metric. And without jumping on a um uh digging out um social media bandwagon which of course is popular but i'm about to um i don't necessarily think the the kind of social media maelstrom that we can live in uh, that we often live in is helpful in that regard because we are constantly compared and invited to compare ourselves to to others and again i think that's where where coaching can um really help people liberate themselves in terms of breaking that external verification and thinking actually what is the best version of me what does that look like and what can I consciously do towards to, to, to move towards a little bit a, a little bit more towards it mm. Mm. yeah so much to learn isn't there from children it's um it's really interesting isn't it when you when, when you tune into them um I'm, I'm sorry I'm just reminded of another story <laughs> this, this no, please this happened about um, a couple. This is pre pre COVID, and I was working at um, uh, a place um, uh, not too far from where I live, over on the other side of um, uh, in the Midlands here, and um, it was a, a one of these working farms. And it was a, it was a joint term time, and uh, the the classroom was upstairs, overlooking the the courtyard of this working farm. And um, when we were on a break, and when people were having conversations, I was looking out the window. And um, I was struck by the fact that um, there seemed to be two lots of um, um, carers with the young children because they were all under, under four or five. It was term time. They're, they either seem to be grandparents or parents. And their grandparents were just 
really engage with the children. The children were really excited. Come and have a look at this. Come and look at that. Look at this. And the grandparents were there with them, bending down, engaging with them, answering all of their questions, leading more questions. And the parents were really distracted, maybe worn down by the 30, 70 questions that they'd already heard. <laughs> yeah. Or they were on their phones or they were, but, but they were somewhere else and, and they were disengaged. And, and what I noticed was that the, the children, their enthusiasm waned because if enthusiasm isn't reciprocated, you see the enthusiasm waning. And, and it really struck me about, you know, is there something that by the time you become grandparents, you've kind of reconnected with this wonder and this joy and this being present that sometimes we may lose in those middle years of working and paying the mortgage and keeping the kids safe and um, you know all those other responsibilities that we that we carry and and again what would it mean to without kind of um, um, well without failing to recognise that they are real challenges for any any parent um, just hold on to some of that curiosity and that joy and that sense of being in the moment. Mm. Reminds me of though that phrase about raising people up and bringing them down, about how you can, you know, what you've de- described as the grandparents is raising up, isn't it? And the yeah. parents is, is kind of bringing down the mood. And I wonder what the equivalent of that is at work and who are the grandparents at work and who are the parents at work? So it's about preoccupation, isn't it? I think. I mean, where's your focus? Where's your attention? Can you interrupt yourself from the from the the the, the pressing concerns and and all of the things that are squeezing in on us, and and just be just be <laughs> present and know that that being present is probably the greatest gift you can bring to your colleagues. You know, it's not necessarily. Your skin set it's not necessarily your wisdom it's not necessarily a 10 20 30 years experience but but just being alongside people first and then allowing all of that stuff to flow to flow mm. from there mm. being present and being human mm. which i think brings us back to to vulnerability and courage right yeah yeah, yeah. can you take your mask off and and be prepared to be a little bit vulnerable a little bit courageous because because mm. that permissions those around you um mm. and i think it's a scenario that um <clears throat> i often find myself um exploring with, with with clients is is if i can be vulnerable if i can be more courageous what does that permission around me whereas if i appear invulnerable if i appear like um i ride every storm and every day is perfect and no issues and nothing ever phases me and nothing ever concerns me then you create that expectation around you and then you end up with an army of people in 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 suits of armors um underneath which they are maybe struggling yeah i i said that in the book actually that one of the things i think that's a real risk is that coaches start to look like people who are sorted who work with people who aren't sorted yeah and you know as much as we're not going to disclose all our personal wounds in the space where we're facilitating someone else's processing equally we can't look like some robotic successful thing because that's just not human no no and and i think it's it's not human and it, and it just doesn't create empathy 
Yeah. Right? And, you know, I think people want to be alongside people who, who feel that they get them, they understand them, they've maybe walked some of the similar paths that they're, they're walking. Um, or could at least empathise in terms of what it might feel like to do so. Yeah. There's a hospice doctor in the States called Rachel Remen, and she said you cannot... She said fixing and helping create a distance. Right. Yeah. You cannot serve at a distance. You yeah. can only serve that to which you are profoundly connected. Isn't that beautiful? Profoundly connected. That's really powerful. Isn't yeah. It? yeah. 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 And I think, you know, as coaches, we, we, you know, live in the same world as everybody else, right? Despite what some people might think we, we, um, have many of the same challenges, many of the same kind of difficulties. And um, I think it's it's about bringing all of that, isn't it? No. And, and not <clears throat> um, holding ourselves up as some, as you say, some kind of guru or um, thought leader or somebody who can in any way fix anybody. Mm. Um, now, of course, that might make it hard to, to sell your services if uh, people <laughs> feel they want fixing, but but... I think um, we have to be we have to be careful of uh, of that and uh, yeah, that, a, a profound connection seems like a, um, uh, a good place to start. Yeah, and we've got some more podcasts coming up in the next few weeks about that thing about promising outcomes and also being human and that space between that tension between those two because actually we can't promise outcomes but if you don't say people tell people what the outcome might be then they don't know what you're going to do you know you don't they don't know what you're doing so it's yeah. it's a real challenge isn't it yeah yeah um um steve ratcliffe has this bit in his in leadership plain and simple a future engaged deliver uh, book where he talks about um you know um, it being about helping you be at your best more of the time yeah. and and that's more or less where I start with any kind of client is well you know, we create a space to help you stop and think about how you can be at your best even more of the time you're already functioning you're brilliant some of the time you might be brilliant most of the time how can we help you be brilliant even more of the time mm. what's that going to look like mm. That is such a beautiful way of describing performance coaching, isn't it? Because hmm. I think that often when it's commissioned, there can feel like a very close line between performance coaching and performance management. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I think um, um, when I think about leadership and, and management, um, I'm, I'm back to, to my childhood again. And um, we, uh, uh, we used to play a game in the playground called Follow My Leader. And um, of course, if nobody's following you, you are just walking around the playground. Yeah. And as, as a leader or a manager in an organisation, um, if people are only following you because the org chart says they have to, and that's a bit like, you know, you're, you're playing at leadership. Okay, You're getting a sense of um, um, compliance while the mm. org chart says I have to follow you. And I think you can manage like that. But leadership liberates something else in people. I think leadership is where people follow you for a reason other than the organisation chart says they have to. <laughs> and I think the best leaders end up bringing many of the skills that, that the best coaches bring. You know, that, how do you create a space that 
people around you can thrive within. Yeah. Ultimately, what we what I think we're trying to do as coaches who coach leaders is help them create a space that people can thrive within because mm. you can't make somebody come to work and do a great job. You can only create the space that enables them and equips them and then encourage them to do so. Yeah, exactly. Well, what an amazing conversation, Martin. That's blown by, hasn't it? Yeah, thank you so much for coming. And also thank you to Sarah. Uh, and if people want to continue a conversation with you, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, well, they can find me on LinkedIn, of course, as we know. Um, it's Martin P. Carter, which is um, the height of arrogance, to use your middle initial. Um, there's a subtle reason why that's there. So you can find me on there. Um, you can uh, also get me via my website at martincarterassociates.com. Brilliant. Um, so either of those places and just would love to uh, continue this conversation with with anybody who's uh, keen to explore what what this means to be more childlike in our uh, leadership and our behavior. So, yeah, just uh, drop me a line and uh, would love to connect with anybody. Thank you so much. So I'm Claire Pedrick and I've been in conversation with Martin Carter. Bye bye. Thanks, Claire. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, we'd love you to share the podcast with a friend or leave a comment on social media. And if you'd like to become a regular at The Coaching Inn, you can subscribe on Podbean and all major podcast channels. We look forward to welcoming you next time. You've been listening to The Coaching Inn, 3D Coaching's virtual pub. For more information, check out 3dcoaching.com.